The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In today's economic climate, it is very hard to know what to do with your money. Every financial move is a choice. Sometimes they are good choices, and you will reap the rewards of success. Sometimes they are bad choices, which can leave you in financial ruin if you make too many. Welcome to The Path to Financial Freedom with Gordon Bennett. Our program will help you to make the good choices and avoid the bad. Now, here is Gordon Bennett. Good afternoon, everybody, in this beautiful first day of spring, or I guess it's the second day. It started yesterday. Great time of year, beautiful blooming flowers. It's Gordon Bennett here with you, and our guest today is very special. I think we're going to find him very interesting, uh, clear up a lot of misunderstandings some of us have. John R. Dick Power is a certified financial planner. After spending a whole bunch of years serving our country in the Army, retired as a colonel, Spent several more years in the private sector, and for the last 20 years has been working as a certified financial planner. CFP is the jargon uh, refers to them. On the path to financial freedom, we recognize that it's a long path. It's not just a destination. It's each and every decision we make on the way, uh, how we handle our wealth, our money. But for two of us, too many of us, we wait too long. We kind of ignore postpone uh, managing our money. We just sort of take it as it comes and live day to day. And the days go by and the years go by, and suddenly we find out we should have been doing something a lot earlier. And you stop and think about it. The early years of your life, you spend learning how to work, learning the skills, the education, whatever it was going to take to get a job that would pay you wages. You are going to be working for you. You're going to be generating income. Think about how many years it took you to get ready to do that. Now think about how much or how little time you have spent educating yourself on how to manage the fruits of your labor. Is it not wise and realistic to expect that if the wedges that you earn and set aside are going to have to carry your income in future years, you should have spent, invest some time in learning about them and educating them? Unfortunately, we don't do enough of that. We make a lot of bad choices. We wait too, too long. Enter the role of the planner. It's individuals like Dick Power who can really help us get a, a jump start on our life if we start with them early enough and can help us salvage the mistakes we make farther down. And so today I'd like Dick to give us an introduction to the life of the planner, what they can do for you, and why it's important, why you need Dick, I'm going to shift right over to you now, and let's hear about what CFPs do. Sure. Thank you, Gordon. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Um, what do CFPs do? Well, the, the term financial planner is sort of a generic one, 
the prefix certified means we've taken certain courses and passed a fairly rigorous examination and have been licensed to use that term CFP uh, attached to our name by an organization called the Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards. And they're a nonprofit agency in the public interest to make sure that people that use that credential, in fact, live up to a set of standards that are promulgated by them and that we understand very well. So it, it's an ethical code and a standard of practice that's higher in the order of things than most people who are just generically called financial advisors or wealth managers or insurance salesmen or stockbrokers. Uh, we follow a fiduciary standard for the client. And what we do is help the client map a path through their financial life, covering all of the things that people need to consider to make that path as free from bumps in a road as they possibly can. So it could be as simple as first helping the client identify some goals that they want to achieve. And I'm going to go back to that from time to time during the course of the discussion. I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, and then helping them do the things that they need to do to try to achieve those goals. I, I, I recall several engagements that I've had, but one in particular where a lady who was looking for a financial advisor came in to meet with me. And Generally, what I and almost all of my contemporaries do is have a, a free charge upfront meeting to discuss philosophies and the client general conditions just to make sure if we'd be a good fit for working with each other. Because usually when you engage a financial planner, it's more than a couple of hours meeting. It's usually an enduring engagement, and I, we can discuss that further. But this lady came in, and she, she was rather well off, which is true of some clients. She was not a young, well, she was relatively young, ages relative, I suppose. And she was a woman probably in her late 50s, uh, and she had been uh, divorced. She had a very good job. And she was uh, leaving that job, and she had an executive buyout package and 401k and all of that good stuff. So she had probably a couple of million dollars. Frankly, most of my clients aren't even close to that, but but she happened to be. And so she came in and sat down with me, and I immediately started talking with her about what her goals were, what she wanted to try to achieve in life that might have a dollar sign attached to them and even things that didn't have dollar signs attached to them because sometimes we can position money to allow those other kinds of goals to take place. And We spent most of our time talking about that. And then she said, you know, you're the fifth financial advisor that I've interviewed. And the first four came into the meeting in their suits and ties with nice bound investment portfolios for me that they would be willing to take my $2 million and invest it for me. They never asked me what my goals were. All they wanted to do was take control of my money and invest it and earn a fee for that. And I was somewhat taken aback, to be candid. Uh, I just thought everyone would start with goals. So there's a key difference between a certified financial planner and some others. We start with goals. That's what's important. If 
you don't know what your destination is, there's no way to craft a plan to get there. So what I hear you saying is what we can expect when we uh, approach someone or, or deal with a certified financial planner is a base of standards so that you have been through rigorous training and each of those uh, people carrying that designation, much like we expect an attorney to know the law and a CPA to know the accounting, impartially, the first thing we're going to have is standard floor of information. You're all going to have been trained the same way. You've got a basis of knowledge. And it's Absolutely. a breadth of knowledge, not just a narrow segment. We're going to talk about how broad the whole concept of finance is. Your focus is primarily on the individual, not on individual products that you may be. And there's nothing wrong with people who sell products. Let me make that very clear. But your focus is not on products or a can approach to some solution. It's looking at the individual uh, as the primary driver of the uh, the purpose of your meeting. They should expect some sort of a consistency that if you went to several CFPs, they, they may have different approaches to using their knowledge, but they're going to be drawing from the same pool of information in an impartial way. Would that be a fair way to characterize your profession? Absolutely. In fact, in the, in the financial planning world, uh, and, and there are some financial planners who are not CFPs, but they may be not CFPs but might be members of the Financial Planning Association, which is a member organization of people that do financial planning. Uh, we follow what's called a, a six-step financial planning process. And the, the steps are first setting goals and then collecting information about all things financial that relate to a person's life and then doing an analysis and determining whether that which they have in place now is suitable to get to the goal and then coming up with, coming up with a plan of action to change some things, add some things, do some things differently, implement the plan, and then lastly, the last step is to follow it up. And, and that's why I say it's usually an enduring relationship. Uh, that six-step planning process is a standard inside the CFP world and inside the financial planning association world. So you could almost always expect a financial planner to start with goals, which is quite different. And, and the reason for that, and I, I can talk about myself personally, I can't surely speak for the 60,000 people that have CFP credentials in the United States, but, but certainly for me, it always starts there because I cannot envision crafting a plan that involves money in particular for someone that I don't know where they're trying to go. I mean, I've had people ask me, well, I have X amount of money to invest. What should I do with it? And I tell them flat out, I will not answer that question. I will not answer that question before I understand what your objectives are, what your goals are, and what the whole portfolio looks like allocated to various pieces of that goal. And then I can tell you what you should do or what I would recommend you do with that particular piece of your assets. It's not unlike going into a gymnasium and say, I want to get fit. Yeah. Well, what do you want to be? Do you want to run a triathlon? Do you want to swim? Do you want to climb mountains? A good physical therapist or an exercise coach is going to say, what do you want to accomplish? And if you don't start there, 
you don't know where you're going to end up. And the other thing I hear you saying is a good plan has to be comprehensive and exhaustive. It isn't a once and done pinpoint. Oh, you got an extra hundred thousand dollars. Why don't you go buy gold? It's hot today. Or why don't you go buy Apple? It's still going to go up higher. Right. You need a, a comprehensive because what you leave out can turn around to bite you. You've got to cover all the pieces and that simply takes time because each of us is different and individual. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about personal risk appetite, which is one of the elements of that. But this whole thing about goals, um, I do a couple of workshops for people getting started and, and dealing with life. And the first session, I always talk about goals. And I'm reminded of Kennedy. What was it? Back in the 50s. He said, we're going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade and return him safely to Earth. That in the management parlance is known as a strategic vision. Mm-hmm. And what a, what a strategic vision does is it organizes our resources. And our resources include both time and money. And if you have goals set out which point out um, things you want to acquire, experiences you want to have, and wealth you want to accumulate and set that over a one-year, a five-year, and a lifetime thing – it keeps you from wasting money on things that don't take you where you want to be and aren't going to give any satisfaction in that process. So I think goal setting, and particularly in a family situation, it gets rid of stress. It gets rid of argumentation. It takes people uh, logically and unemotionally to a better use of their life. Now, I see we're coming up. This first section has gone by pretty quick. We're going to have to take a short break here. And when we get back, I want to talk a little bit more about the specific areas of financial planning. Back in a few. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We are in the midst of a global sovereign debt crisis that could lead to the ultimate risk for the world economy, the removal of the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. What will this event really mean to the markets? And more importantly, what does it mean for you and your family? Listen to Global Currency Watch with your host, Stephen Ayer, to get a full and objective look at the world's sovereign debt crisis and help you prepare for when the crisis envelops the United States. Global Currency Watch airs live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is The Path to Financial Freedom with Gordon Bennett. 
To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back, everybody. It's Gordon Bennett here with my guest, Dick Power, talking about the role of the CFP in planning your financial life. And I'm reminded about uh, an analogy I use in teaching. And I ask the students, what is the most important part of your automobile? Think about that for a minute. What is the most important part of your automobile? Now, there's a legitimate answer to that question. And people will waffle all over the place and say it's the engine, the driver, and all that. The simple answer is it's the part that's broken that keeps it from running. It, by default, has become the most important part of your car. If you have a flat tire, you got to fix it. If you have a dead battery, you have to fix it. If you're out of gasoline, you got to fix it. Now, a teenager may tell you if the stereo is broken, you can't drive it. But the, <laughs> but the point is, you if there's three parts broken, you cannot operate the car by fixing just one of them. And I think it's a parallel to a financial plan or a lifetime plan of goals. You gotta have all the pieces there because one of them broken can derail all the others. And so let's go down some of the pieces that fit into that life plan. First of all, what are some of the general financial kind? What's the big picture, Dick? The general financial overview that we're looking at. Well, uh, I would say probably the driving factor in almost every financial plan that I've done is the rate at which people spend money and, and, and how that affects their ability to achieve their goals. And, and once we've gotten the goals out of the way, and sometimes the goal might be to get out of debt or, or save more regularly, or, and I love those people because I know I'll be able to work with them. But, Generally, I'd say one of the most important things that anyone can do before anything else after setting goals is to create an emergency fund. Absent an emergency fund, you get immediately into debt, and it almost always undercuts all of your other goals and all of the other things you want to achieve. Um, I, I jokingly say to clients when they tell me that, oh, they had to put $1,000 on their credit card because their car needed new tires. I often will ask them questions like, well, didn't you think the tires on your car would ever wear out? Isn't that something you can plan for? Don't you, yeah. if when you're going to go to the dentist, and your dental insurance only covers X and you have to have major dental work, if you don't have an emergency fund, how do you pay for that major dental work, assuming you don't have this big trove of cash hidden somewhere, which would be called an emergency fund? You put it on your credit card. That is the between a failure to have an emergency fund and reliance on credit cards, or as you said in an earlier conversation, a charge card, not a credit card. Um, well, well it is an extension of credit, just like you would get as a loan from a bank. Um, those are the two things that undercut a financial plan most. 
everybody pretty much has similar goals. They, they're, they're, you know, they vary a little bit. Some people may be in debt and want to get out of debt. Some people aren't terribly in debt and so don't need to worry about that so much. Uh, but everyone's going to have some goals that are similar. Either they want to buy a house or they want to save up to uh, have the mortgage down payment. Uh, they may have kids or may, may be planning to get married. And by the way, one of the things young couples thinking about getting married should do is save for their honeymoon and not come back $10,000 in debt because they got married. Have you seen that before? Oh, yeah. I see and it all the, the time. The, uh, the wedding planners are very good at that, and there's been some very good movies about breaking dead with the wedding. So. That's right. So I what I hear you on this rate of spending, this is a fascinating comment. I hadn't really thought of that. Uh, we have some friends, and I guess I learned this from them in, in, in doing workshops we all have a different attitude toward things and stuff, whether it defines us and whether we succumb to the marketing lure of we've got to have a big watch to know what time it is and uh, a fancy car. But this rate of spending is an underlying attitude that precedes everything else. And if you don't come to grips with your own personal emotional attitude toward spending and being in debt, you are you're really before you can do any other kind of planning. You've got to come to grips with yourself. We have uh, our friends, they are out. You can't change people's spending habits. I'll him, you know, Fred and Sally. Um, you give Fred $20, and before the week is out, he will have had a couple of good cigars, and the $20 will be gone. She will have it until Christmas time when she can buy some new materials for quilting. You are not going to change those habit patterns. So what they've done is recognize, here's your money, do what you want with it, here's my money. As small a chunk as it is, it lets people be themselves and come to peace with the difference in their attitude towards spending. And I think that's part of the underlying good plan is for people to recognize just who they are. Yeah, I, th- I think um, I, I think that's a, that's a good strategy is to, is to set aside an amount of money to, to spend on things unconstrained for a week or a month or something like that. Um, and, and have particularly a, a married couple not carpet each other about doing this or doing that, but accepting responsibility to limit their spending, probably in cash, by the way. Uh, and to, those, are negoti- those are negotiable boundaries. Uh, yeah, they change absolutely. But, but, you know, if if... if they each agree, I can spend $100 a week on stuff. Right. Uh, and and that could be lunch, it could be coffee breaks, it could be buying a book or a CD or a cigar, whatever whatever the choices might be. Uh, within that structure, they can choose, for example, to go out to lunch every day. Well, 100 bucks probably won't get you that. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Depends on where you are. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, you could you could go out to lunch every day, or you could buy an inexpensive sandwich at the company cafeteria if there is such a thing, or you could make a sandwich and carry it to work with you so that you could afford to buy an extra CD or something. Your it choice. Takes, but it takes the stress. If you stress keep it in that kind of bounds, it can work very well. And I've seen clients sit there and argue about, oh, you go out and buy these books and you do this. Well, a book. You know, cost fifteen, twenty dollars. It's not a big deal. Slap it on the credit card and do it often, and all of a sudden it becomes a hurdle that you have to get over every month. 
Yeah, what it does, it takes money out of the core of the issue and puts it into values. That's right. And if the, right. if the values are agreed upon, if the goal list is set, we're not going to spend more than such and such unless it's on our goal list. We're accumulating it for that. We aren't going to do it for this. And so you have mutual accord there. And stress is bad for life. And if you can take the money stress out of your life, it's better for your health. Absolutely. The, sec- the second thing most people think about, and I think they probably uh, – focus on this when you think about a, a planner you think that's only for rich people and it's just about uh you know people investing their portfolio but certainly one of the uh, key issues that a that a good planner is going to do is talk about investment strategies risk appetite and things like that what are some of the elements in devising an investment management plan for for people well for an investment management plan um Okay, let, I'll, let's look at that specifically. What I like to do is look at the time horizon for the investments. For example, so how, how old they are, yeah. Well, how old they are and when they want to use the money. For oh, example, okay. you might be accumulating money. I used an example earlier. You want to buy a house, so you need to acquire, save enough money so that you'll have a down payment so you can buy a house. And the way loans are going today, that can be a considerable chunk of change. You know, if you want to buy a $200,000 home, you've got to have $40,000 in your pocket for that down payment because banks aren't lending more than 80% of the assessed value today. Uh, so it, it's a substantial amount of money. So you may want to buy that house in the next five years. So we can't take a whole lot of risk with that because you you need to have that available to you relatively soon. On the other hand, let's say you're 25 years old and you're going to buy the house in the next five years, but you're not going to retire for 35 or 40 years. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you can take a quite a different investment strategy for your longer term investments based on ret- on on your retirement, for example. There might be an intermediate space. You might have a couple of children, and you're thinking about trying to save at least a little bit of money to defray part of the cost of going to college. And you might want to be a little more risk-averse with that money because you're going to have to tap into it sooner. Um, those those are sort of the, the philosophical ways of, of approaching uh, investment management that I use and most clients can understand that fairly well. I, we can say, well, we can, we can take more risk with the money in your 401k, let's say, or your, or your IRA account, because you're not going to use it for 15 or 20 years, let's say. And so what I, and so often, I, I mean, even, even through the, the ugly 2008-2009 uh, stock market uh, sell-off, which was pretty painful for everybody, every client that called me, even those in states of panic, I would ask them, well, where do you think the stock market will be 10 years from now? To a person. They always said, oh, it will be higher than it is you know, today or higher than it was a few months ago or something like that. And I said, well, then why are you thinking about taking some dramatic action with a set of funds which were invested to be used 20 years from now, that might be to your disadvantage. If you think, as I do, that the market will be up at that time, don't take the money out now. You'll just miss the opportunity for it to go up when you have it sitting in a CD or something like that, 
essentially is going nowhere. So, so what I, it helps so what people I, make those decisions. So what I hear you saying here is investment management is not just picking stocks from a wide array of who's up and who's down and what's going on. What you really need to do before you do that is understand the purpose of that investment and the duration, what you're going to have to do. I have a book here that just came to me called Getting Started Over Again for People Who've Been Through a Disaster. One of the advice that's always given to a widow who's just come into a lot of insurance is do nothing for two years. Don't change your lifestyle because you're not emotionally suited to looking ahead far enough. Be safe, preserve corpus, and it's the underlying need for those investments that's far more important than picking the individual securities. Is that what I hear you saying? Absolutely. And, and in fact, we go back to where I started. Goals. Great. Goals right. are based on time and amounts of money, and we invest to achieve the goals. Good time to take a break. I we'll think. Be back, in a, be back in a minute. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is The Path to Financial Freedom with Gordon Bennett. To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Gordon Bennett back with you here with uh, Dick Power talking about the role of a planner in your personal financial life. And by the way, if you don't have a planner uh, and aren't going to be getting one anytime soon, 
Uh, maybe you need to learn some of the same things they're doing because if it's a do-it-yourself thing, you better do it right. Uh, I think we'll make a case for why you can use and have a planner uh, as we continue on here. What I'd like you to talk to us now, uh, Dick, is the whole concept of risk management. And I don't mean our appetite for risk. I mean, a lot of us don't want to be do bungee jumping or skydiving, and others are quite happy doing that. Some of us are very risk-aversive. But whatever our risk appetite and risk level, we have to manage the risk to ourselves and our assets. What kind of advice as a planner can you give people about understanding things like that, including having a will for disposing of your assets? Okay, you really get two questions there, Gordon. One is a, one primarily leads me down the insurance path. The other one is the estate planning path, and I'll, I'll try to touch on them both quickly. You you know, in the in the risk portion, that is, that is covering the things that can happen in life. Again, when you have goals set, for example, uh, you you understand that that there's income necessary to be accrued and saved in some fashion to achieve those goals. One of the things that you want to ensure is that you don't have that income stream disrupted. So if, for example, someone were to pass away, their income that they normally would have earned will be lost. Somehow that has to be replaced or the family is going to be in tough shape. People get ill or get injured and they need to replace some of their income to accommodate the fact that they can't go back to work for a while or maybe ever. Therefore, disability income is necessary. You have to have sufficient income on your home and your automobiles and so forth to replace them if something disastrous happens. Also, as part of that homeowner's insurance and in that automobile insurance, you have liability coverage. That is to say, if you do something by mistake or someone gets injured by you, there's an insurance backup because you can't pay the bill in a a society that becomes increasingly inclined to sue everybody in sight, someone's going to have to pay that bill. You don't want to be the person who's reaching deep into their own pocket to do that. So you want to have appropriate insurances in place to cover health risks, to cover property and casualty risks, that's automobile and homeowners and so forth, and to protect the income stream that you would normally get through life. So one of the things we do as financial planners is go through all of the various types of insurance and make sure that you have adequate coverage so that your plan won't go to pot, even with the removal of one of the partners. And I try to do it like, for example, I'm not a guy that's, I don't sell insurance. So... I'm not interested in promoting somebody buying a $3 million life insurance policy. I will sit down and with a, a couple, for example, and say, if Joe died, Mary, will you go back to work? Or, or will you continue to work? And, and we'll work through that and figure out how much Mary earns and, and make up some of the difference in such a fashion so that the family can at least go on from a financial standpoint living reasonably well. That discussion automatically leads to the estate planning, and I, I love to use that sort of elaborate term. 
estate planning is is more than than just a will because it it includes other things. There may be trusts involved, for example. Certainly, you have to have a will. The simple will is what we in the trade call an I love you will, if you're a couple. Um, you know, I love you and I leave all the stuff to you if I die and you do the same to me. And that's cool, and it's perfectly adequate, and at least it doesn't require that the law in the state that you live in kick in because the laws in your state may be quite different from what you would want. So the real purpose of estate planning is for you to be able to determine where your assets go. It's as simple as that. Whether it be directly in will to somebody else, whether it's moving through some sort of a trust arrangement, which is a little more complicated and for many people is totally unnecessary. Um, you certainly need to have health care proxies in place which is part of estate planning. A healthcare proxy is, has nothing to do with financial stuff. It has to do with you writing on a piece of paper who will make health decisions if you're not able to do so. Uh, similarly, there's a need for what's called a durable power of attorney. Again, if you can't call your investment company, let's say you've got money at Fidelity, if you can't call them and tell them to do something with that money because you're in a hospital in a coma or fragile or mentally not able to deal with that sort of thing, someone needs to be able to do that for you in case some bills need to be paid. And so durable powers of attorney are, are necessary. So an estate plan includes all of those pieces, and essentially, and I've gone through this with young couples, and they've said when they finally got it all put in place, they said, wow, I can sleep at night. I've got adequate insurance, and I've got all of these pieces of papers that, God forbid, the worst thing possible happens, my family's going to be okay. That's, that removes some of that stress that you were talking about. Ninety yeah. percent of the things that happen to us, good, bad, or indifferent, are things that we made decisions about and have consequences. About 10 percent of the things that happen to us uh, are out of our control. Uh, last year I was diagnosed with cancer. That wasn't something I had planned on or intended to do. But because all my other affairs were in better shape, and this is true of anybody, Layoffs, job law, uh, job losses, accidents, illness, family issues. The ninety percent that you do right helps you cope with the things that you don't have any control over. That's and absolutely I'm correct. And I'm reminded of a, a case study. You're talking about the role of a planner. Uh, I spent a great deal of my life in California, which is a community property state, mm-hmm. which is a very complicated legal convolution. But one of the things that I discovered is that at the time I was there, about 50% of the business failures, small business failures in the state, and this was a healthy economic state at the time, were because of the unexpected death of a non-working spouse. So here we have a very successful entrepreneur building a business, making a lot of money, and all of it's tied up in the business, big assets, the spouse unexpectedly dies, and no one has ever thought about taking a life insurance policy out on the spouse to pay the inevitable taxes. And in a community property state, half of the value of the business was attributed to the wife's estate, and there was a huge tax on it. There was no cash to pay it, and the business failed. Fifty percent of business failures were because of lack of planning of the unexpected death of a spouse to whom half the value would be attributed. 
that's where a professional steps in, and those things are avoidable by proper planning. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And those kind of cases of, are... In that kind of a situation, there are buy-sell agreements. The company can own life insurance. There's there's just all host of things that one can do. Proper proper trusting, proper ownership distribution, and so forth can can resolve all of that. There's there's plenty of legal techniques that can be used to make that not be a problem. Yeah, um, you, can, you in today's world, everybody needs access to a good tax accountant and a good tax attorney, particularly if they have real estate, any assets at all, uh, and a, a family situation. The complexity of the law for taxes. And planning and asset distribution are, uh, you have to have that and a planner can help coordinate those services so that you have a comprehensive, I can sleep at night plan. I want to shift gears a little bit here. Sure. Um, the people I've talked to have said to me a lot of times, I can't afford a planner. That's for wealthy people. <laughs> who needs a, who needs a planner? Well, who are your clients? What does it really cost? And is it too early to start in life or? Is it sometimes too late? Talk to us about, we've got three minutes to do this. <laughs> I'll do it. Who, need, who needs you? Everyone needs to have a financial plan. Everyone. I don't care how old you are, and I don't care how little or much you earn. You need to have a financial plan. Simply because, going back to what I said before, having those goals and translating those into money and figuring out a way to accumulate the funds necessary to achieve those goals. I defy you to identify a human being on the face of this earth that doesn't have that. So you, everyone needs a planner. Now, the question is whether you go hire somebody to help you as a professional, and the range of price uh, could be as cheap as about 500 bucks, and the expenses can go up if you've got lots of money. They might go as much as $10,000 a year. Probably not much more than that, even for uh, some of the, the larger accumulated wealth. Um, there are actually, there's a, a particular network of uh, financial planners called Garrett Financial Planning, Garrett Planning Network, um, that works on an hourly basis. They don't, they charge fees only. And the fee is the hourly rate that you pay them. And they could probably knock a plan out for a simple case in a relatively short period of time. It'd probably just be a few hours of work and they'd bill you accordingly. And it's, it's, uh, GarrettPlanning.com. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T Planning.com. You can find a plan, one of the Garrett planners by just going to their site and searching for it. Um, there are, there are other ways you can look for planners as well. But uh, say 500 or $1,000 spent up front can make a huge difference in your life. And you can certainly find the kind of service that you want for that kind of money. Uh, I work cheaper than that, but that's because I don't. I have lots of other income, so I don't have to worry about it much. And I'm not well, you clients. Do, you, do a lot of pro bon- you do a lot of pro bono work for military, which I want to I talk do. about in our last section. But... Uh, if you compare the cost of what you spend for one college class, you're going to make you're going to make over a million dollars in wages. Isn't it smart to have a really good professional plan as you start out in your work life, so that you know you're getting the most mileage out of it? You've spent 
tens of thousands of dollars to go through school and get a job, make sure that you're taking advantage of all of the decisions that will help you get the most value out of that. And I see that's where a planner, a planner can get rid of your biases. It can enrich the scope of your uh, knowledge. It can put you into a uh, um, education program and a self-study program so that you can do better for yourself. There's there's no reason not to have a planner in your life. And with that, we're going to take a break, and we're going to be back, and we're going to talk a little bit about the basics of financial management and some of the differences in military face. Okay. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Tune in for What About Wealth every week to learn the vital answers to your questions about creating wealth, investing it, donating it, and protecting it. Your hosts are Rich Bloomfield and Rick Durfee, who explain the principles that govern wealth in terms you can understand. Building and preserving positive wealth requires correct action, but few people know how wealth really works. Listen every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and find the answers you need about wealth. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is The Path to Financial Freedom with Gordon Bennett. To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. I hope you've enjoyed our guest as much as I have. One of the things I want Dick to uh, touch on before we finish here, he spent a number of years in the military and in conversations with him, I know that he has done a lot of pro bono work helping the military family because they face, well, a lot of the same issues. There's a great deal of difference in their timing and situation. Talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges the military face and some of the lessons we might learn from them. Well, the first Unique challenge for the for the military is the reality of family separation. I mean, let's think in terms of married couples. Plenty of our soldiers are, are single soldiers, and 
and they can go off as adventurous people, but they need to have people at home attending to their affairs. But the biggest uh, focal point probably is couples and the fact that in a military family, one member of that family, or perhaps both spouses in that family, will depart, leaving the family behind. Uh, and, and, and that's something that most of us in ordinary life don't deal with. I mean, you know, someone may go off on a business trip for a week. They don't go away somewhere for a year with their life on the line. It's quite a different matter. And, and so just just think about that yourself. Of if a loved one has to go to a place where they might be maimed or killed, not only do you worry about that, but then you're given the burden of taking care of all of the family affairs, including what they normally would have done. That is not easy. That is a tough job. If, if And the reason we do the pro bono financial planning for the soldiers that, that ask us for that assistance is because we want to make it as easy as possible. It's never going to be easy, but at least if they've got the budget sorted out, they've got the emergency fund in place, they know who to call, uh, it makes it a lot simpler for that stay-behind spouse. And, and uh, in today's world, uh, about half of the military force is uh, what I refer to as reserve component soldiers, that is Marines, Air Force, Navy, Army, National Guard, or Army Reserve, Air Force Reserve, and the like. Um, people that have regular jobs like you and I have, and all of a sudden they get told, you know, three months from now or six months from now or even a year from now, your unit is going to be deployed to Afghanistan. And so you have to get ready and get everything in order because you're going to pack up and go, and you won't be home for a year. Assuming you come home in one piece and there's no problem, your family still has had to get on for a year without you. That's tough duty. And and so we try to help in every way we can. Uh, That's the biggest difference, frankly. Uh, the, the, the families, I mean, they, they get income levels that are somewhat comparable to someone of the same educational and experiential background in, in the civilian world. And so they run into the same problems. Young families that are beginning, uh, tend to rack up debt quickly. Um, and by the way, the prospect of going away for a year or coming back after that year causes them to rack up debt because it's easy to convince yourself that you need to go do things. I, I, I talked to a, a couple that I was working with a while ago, and he had been on a tour in Iraq and had come back, and they, and they, let, they let the soldiers come home for, oh, about a week's time in the middle of the tour. And so they came back home for a week or ten days and immediately packed the family up the day after they got home and went to Disney World for a week. And so I talked to them afterwards, and they put it all on a credit card and gotten themselves in a hole. And so I had a little heart-to-heart afterwards, and I said, you know, I really want to understand what this is now. Was that really a smart thing to do? And, and he said, no, it was the dumbest thing I've ever done. He said, I realized that my kids wanted to spend time with me. They didn't need to see Mickey. And, and, and he said, I, it would have been way better if I had just stayed home and stayed in the house with him and held him at night to watch television. 
and gone out to McDonald's to get a burger with them. It would have been lots better. And not leave behind some debts that they have to pay out when That's you're right. gone. That's right. So anyway, there's my short spiel about uh, about the troops. Um, but but well, it's, it's fun working with them, and they, they usually are. Once you catch them, because the military is, is an organization that plans, planning is sort of inbred into them. They learn that you do things through planning. And so once you catch the financial planning bug, then they start following that pretty well. So well, they, some good they have the time urgency on it, and I think that's something we can learn. We can postpone things. I'll do it next week. I'll do it next month. They have the urgency there that's because right. <laughs> when they're gone, they can't sit down and talk about goals and, and strategize. And I think if some of us got that same urgency into our lives, we'd do better instead of postponing, well, I'll get to it next week. And That's right. Now I'm going to worry, worry my way out of it. Um, there's a couple of things I want to uh, add to the to the mix here today. There was a book written in, I think it was 1936, by a guy named Classen called The Richest Man in Babylon. The book is still in print. You can still order it. It's a worthwhile, good first read. He set out the rules for uh, financial success and planning. First, pay yourself first. Take 10% of everything you earn and put it aside for yourself. That's your retirement dollars. You can do that. If you put it away in an automatic uh, charge to your bank account or out of your payroll, you'll never miss it. And you just keep putting it away and let it accumulate. Ignore it being there. Pay yourself first. You're working for you. The second thing is live within your means. Don't spend more than what's left over after you put that 10% away. And for those of you who are religious and who are tithing to your church, God should come ahead of your 10%. And I have to tell you, I know no person in my life who was a tither in their church who was ever facing financial stress. They just had learned priorities in their life. So I commend the, I commend those of you who pay God first. Living within your means is a state of mind. It's an attitude. Do I need a car to impress my neighbors? Do I need a watch that I have to hold up so people know what I bought a watch? I like nice things. I like to spend money. But the stuff doesn't own me. And if you want to see how people have been owned by money, uh, go to garage sales. At one point, all that stuff in the front yard was important to somebody that had to have it. It sells for pennies. Have you read The Millionaire Next Door? Oh, yeah. Great book. It, it is the same kind of thing. Most of the millionaires yeah. are driving used cars and not living in a flashy way. There's that old Texas expression about the flashy one, big hat, no cattle. Yeah, that's right. I love that. <laughs> and the other is stay out of debt. Uh, there are some times you end up in debt, particularly starting out of life. It's hard to buy a house without borrowing. It's hard to buy a car College today is pretty expensive, but if you watch it, staying out of debt is a state of mind, and you want to get out of debt because everything costs more if you are paying someone else to put the money on up front. And when an emergency occurs, the worst thing that can happen is you've got to pay bills that you have no income to cover. So being out of debt is a good thing, investing for the future. We have just a minute to go here before we're finished for the day. I want to refer you to my website, which is... Path to Financial Freedom, the fast way to get there is the initials ptff.net, ptff. There you will find books to be recommended to read, including one I wrote called Give Yourself a Raise, How to Have Less Stress, More Money, and Financial Freedom. Uh, any books you'd like to recommend that uh, our listeners 
What I'd like to do is give accolades to your book, Gordon. It's a really good basic book. It's an easy read, easy to follow, and very, very helpful. Let me, let me offer two websites that have good information. One is cfp.net that'll tell you all about certified financial planners. And another one is fpanet.org, the financial planning association site that has scads of articles and check sheets and worksheets and checklists and so forth for people to start doing some of the planning on their own. There's a lot of resources there available for you. It's all at no cost. So I would strongly recommend people starting that course on their own. Thanks a lot, Dick. Good having you with us. Look forward to talking to you all next week and have a wonderful early spring. Gordon Bennett saying goodbye for today. Thank you for listening to The Path to Financial Freedom. Please join your host, Gordon Bennett, again next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, are you going to make a bad choice or a great choice with your money? Come back next week for more.